Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is the last week in August now. We've got Labor Day and September just around the corner. And so it's really time, if you haven't started already, to start thinking about applying to college if you are a senior. And we've got a great show that's lined up to think especially about what seniors should be doing with respect to the timeline in the fall for both the admission process and the college finance process. We're going to touch on those in our middle and our later segments today. But before we do that, we want to talk about a very specific resource that a lot of students have access to over the course of the college application process, and that is Naviance. Now, joining me is my longtime colleague, resident Naviance expert here within the College Coach team. We've got Mary Sue Yoon. Hey, Mary Sue, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. Great to have you. You have seen Naviance now from multiple different perspectives, right? Because Mm -hmm. you have seen it as an educator here with College Coach. You have also seen it as a parent because your daughter just went through this whole college application process last year, last fall, and is off to college uh, here in a couple of weeks. A couple days. A couple days. We're packing in the other room. (laughs) Fantastic. Great. So uh, let's put the packing on hold. And talk a little bit about, about Naviance. And so a lot of people will be familiar with it just by hearing that name because it's a, a ubiquitous part of a conversation in a lot of high schools in the U.S. For those people who are unfamiliar, do you want to just give us a, a brief intro to what Naviance is? Sure. So Naviance is a, a tool used by uh, many school counseling offices around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's a web-based interface. Um and essentially, uh, students are given access to the web-based interface uh, by their school counselor, and they are then able to see sort of past data from students from that high school who have applied to college and where they applied to college and what their results are. The results are um, not revealing the student's name, but they do reveal things like the GPA and in past year's test scores. Um, and uh, they sort of can give you a snapshot as to what it looks like uh, as the climate from your high school to go on to certain colleges. What, what do, uh, how do, how do alums from your high school tend to fare in the process? It also is a management tool for the counselors to be able oftentimes to send transcripts or teacher recommendations. There's a lot of different pieces of the college process that it can help with. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a great tool that many students can use. And, and, you know, something that we use for college coach high school, I suppose mm-hmm. you could call it, um, with, with the students that we work with just to track where they are in their processes and what their deadlines look like and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, I have not seen it from the student perspective, and I want to talk about these scatter plots because I think that that's a space where you can find information that is helpful. You can find information that is misleading, um, you, know, yep. it, 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 you know, depending on, on what exactly you're looking at for that particular college or university. And so from the student perspective, when they look at one of those scatter plots, um, does their information show up on that plot? Uh, Yes, it does show sort of what their current um, GPA and any test scores that they have. As far as the counselor knows, uh, I I found in my daughter's processor, her scores were actually not updated. So, uh, you know, it it didn't show her uh, place in the scatter plot in exactly the right space. Um, but uh, it does show sort of some indication of the student's GPA for the high school and their test scores and how that might compare to past applicants for a particular college or university. So we've got the x-axis, I think, is GPA, and the Mm y-axis is testing. It could be reversed. It wouldn't matter. (laughs) We've got basically two axes here. It might be switched, but yeah. (laughs) It might be switched. Okay. And so what you've got is essentially an assortment of past students, all of whom apply to a particular college. And so you can open up a college like the University of Michigan, and you can take a look and see all of the students in the last five years who've applied from my high school. 
and what their profile looked like. And then based on a little color scheme, you can see whether they got in, whether they were denied or whether they were put on the wait list. Yep. And, and there's even further information from that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I want to sort of start with is, Mary Sue is what would be the circumstances where this scatter plot would be really helpful for a student in terms of predicting their likelihood of admission? What would have to be the circumstances that mm-hmm. we would have in order to make it especially useful? I think it can be really helpful if a student is looking at schools that have mostly a numeric-based review. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes our larger public universities, you can kind of see from looking at the scatter product, okay, okay, here's what the bar is for this university for my high school. And am I above that bar, or below that bar? You can kind of get a sense of that from looking at it. Um, as you look at the more selective colleges and universities, uh, it gets a lot fuzzier though, because yeah. it's not telling a lot of the story about an individual applicant. It's not telling anything about activities or uh, essays or letters of recommendation or all of those parts that are more part of a holistic review. So I think for a numeric review, it can be helpful. Holistic review schools and more highly selective schools, um, hmm, it's a little fuzzy. I would yeah, say. and I think I think what I what I find sometimes students will gravitate toward is they'll look at that scatter plot, they'll see where they are, and then they'll look for students who got in who are to the left of them, who got who mm-hmm. had a lower GPA or lower test right. scores, and say, "Oh, there's one, there's another one." So that means I've got a good shot. And what Naviance doesn't say is maybe that one was the recruited running back for the football team, mm-hmm. right? And maybe this other one had a an extremely high quality skill in musical performance, right? Mm -hmm. It just tells us testing and grades. And I think that that makes it a a real challenge. Um, What about sample size too? I mean, sometimes if you're looking at like a University of Michigan, there Mm -hmm. are usually going to be a lot of students from a high school that are applying there, no matter what high school we're talking about in the US. But if we're talking about Reed College, if we're talking about Barnard, you might see Mm -hmm. some differences, you know, in different institutions. So, So how does sample size affect what students are looking at here too? Absolutely. And it can, it, sample size can, can skew the results kind of one way or another. So I'm in the Northeast. A lot of the students I work with um, like colleges in that Boston to DC 95 corridor. Yeah, they sure um, do. And so for high schools around here, the sample size is going to be pretty robust for those high schools. Uh, I mean, for those universities. Um, but when you look a little outside the bubble and you look at Reed across the country or you right. look at, um, you know, Oberlin or McAllister or some schools that perhaps are fantastic schools, but just haven't had a lot of applicants from that high school, you might have had a student who was uh, a top student in the class who applied there a couple of years ago and got in and decided to go there. And so it may skew it much higher than needed, um, or you may have sort of just inconsistency in the, the students that you're seeing that are applying to that school because you won't have kind of, you know, dozens of, of dots on the, on the scatter plot, as it were. And so in that case, would we then encourage students, well, you got these Naviance data, which can be helpful for your school, but pr- probably not a super robust sample size. So looking at things yeah. like the school profile, mm-hmm. um, maybe looking at data on the big future on the college board, those mm-hmm. kinds of things can be helpful to round out your perspective yep. on the school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are entering sort of a weird space, I think, you know, obviously because of the effects of COVID and because of changing around mm-hmm. um, testing optional policies and how schools are using standardized test scores, the X part of the XY axis for many students is not applicable mm-hmm. because they've decided not to send scores. Um, right. As students start looking at some of these test optional schools and the data start to catch up, I don't think that they have yet, but as those data start to catch up, how might, how might we think about the role of a scatter plot like this where we, where we have two data points, but for many students, one of those data points is non-existent? Yeah, I, I do think it's, it's certainly the evolving space of college admissions right now is that yeah. you can't predict some of these um, spaces quite as easily as you could years ago when you could see both points and sort of see, okay, here's that, that school's bar and you know whether I fall above it or not. Um, in the absence of that test score data, uh, I do think that more schools, even if they're not um, a fully holistic review, if they're more on the numeric side, are at least looking at some of those uh, other factors. They're looking a little more at activities or they might require an essay if they hadn't required an essay before. They might look a little more at the essay 
than they had before. Um, so the the personal qualities and the applications kind of get more into the process. Um, but those the harder part of that, and for for many of our families that we talk to who are very data driven, it can feel really um, uncertain. But it does lead to more uncertainty and unpredictability in the process because you can't just say, you know, this this number plus this number equals a high chance or not or a low chance of admission. Um, but I do think that still there is some general directionality of uh, of Naviance. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at a school where it seems like everyone from your high school in the past years has a has a tip top profile, and your G- GPA is way below what has been um, accepted in the past, that's probably a pretty good indicator. Um, and then they, you know, they won't have your test scores, but it doesn't kind of matter what your test scores are at that point. I think right. with the schools that have that more holistic review, they have enough other information. Um, and certainly in the places that I worked at, we had enough other information that could fill in that test score space. Um, and, but the, uh, the scatter plots, you know, some, it gets a little fuzzier and fuzzier, I guess, as it we does. go. It does. Now, one of the the silver linings for this is for students who do have scores and are trying to figure out whether to submit them for schools. If you're taking a look and saying, well, my GPA looks great, but my scores mm-hmm. don't look so good for this particular school, that might be an indication that you withhold those scores. Yeah. So you can actually use those scatter plots to inform a decision you might make about whether to be test mm-hmm. optional with the usual caveats about, you know, sample size and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but But I think like what I heard from you just saying in terms of the big takeaway here is, Sometimes Naviance can be helpful in showing that you have a far below average chance of getting into a particular, especially selective school, given a a trend that you have. Sometimes it can give you an indication that you have a good shot of getting into a school that's more numeric in terms of its process by showing that you're definitively above that middle line for both areas. But when schools get especially selective, there tends to be a difficulty in establishing a trend and really looking at these two numbers to determine, am I going to get in or not? And that's where it shifts over to that holistic review mm-hmm. and the qualitative aspects in an activities list and in essays and letters of recommendation and so forth. Yep. Absolutely. Now this is Naviance for juniors and especially mm-hmm. Naviance for seniors in terms of planning, but it's also got some other more robust tools for younger students mm-hmm. who might be introduced to the platform mm-hmm. as freshmen or sophomores, some space that you've been able to dig into, especially as you were working with your daughter on, on uh, her application process. What are, what are some things that, you know, parents of younger students might want to know about that Naviance can offer for them? Yeah. So you want to look, and I will say a little caveat in that different high schools can purchase different parts of the Naviance platform. So not every high school has the exact same thing. Um, But in general, most high schools purchase some sort of uh, career or interest or academic interest surveys in there. Um, Some of them are based on um, some psychological personalities, psych uh, profiles like the Myers-Briggs or the Holland assessment. Um, And they're just ways for a student to kind of do a little self-questionnaire. And it might then say, here's majors that we think would be a match with your interest, or here's careers that we think would be a match with your interest. There's one that um, my daughter did that I remember that uh, was sort of asking about, you know, do you like a more quiet space to study or a louder space? Are you more Mm -hmm. interested in an urban environment versus a suburban or a rural environment? And it sort of got her to think a little more about what did she want in her ideal college um, beyond just, you know, looking at a name or looking at a, a particular location, it sort of got her to dig a little deeper. So there are some pieces like that. Um, sometimes school counselors will promote them and get students to look at them. A lot of times they're just on there and, you know, our school counselors are very overwhelmed in their, yeah. their workloads, so they may not promote it very much, but I'd say poke around on Naviance and you'll see whether they have some of those surveys that you can fill out on your own and might be a little um, a bit of ways to to help you reflect on your process. Well, and I think that's great. I had a couple of conversations in the last couple of days with families that said, well, if we're not looking at rankings and we're not looking at admissibility, what, what are we looking for? How are we assessing mm-hmm. these schools? And, you know, you can always start with location and location type, but I think some of these other characteristics about campuses are something that using a resource like Naviance can help introduce you to what that school is all about. So it's a great thing to start exploring if you're a younger student and you're getting a a little antsy to start doing that college search process. Mm -hmm. Um, The final thing I wanted to just touch on, Mary Sue, of course, Naviance is integrated 
uh, with the common application, mm-hmm. as are many of these uh, school platforms. Um, but a lot of students who, Naviance is probably the most popular tool that, that students use mm-hmm. in high schools from coast to coast. What is the relationship between Naviance and that common application and, and, and uh, letters of recommendation, anything that uh, rising seniors should keep an eye on? Yep. So I did just log into my, my daughter's uh, old Naviance account this morning just to, to make sure I knew how to say it correctly. But there is a, a banner that pops up that says, hmm, it looks like you need to match your account. And what that means is you are matching your Naviance account to your common application account. You have to put your common application login and password into Naviance. And when that is uh, completed, um, when a teacher puts in a letter of recommendation, when your counselor puts in their information about you into Naviance, it can sort of magically through the internet uh, go to your common app and be sent electronically uh, to the colleges and universities that you're applying to. And so you don't get to see those letters of recommendation. It's all done uh, again electronically, but that is a spot where um, it does kind of the matching those two makes your process a lot easier in completing your documents in your application. And some schools will only allow letters of recommendation be, to yes. be requested through Naviance. So you want to make yes. sure that you follow the appropriate steps to link those two accounts. Yeah. Um, awesome. This is great, Mary Sue. Really helpful, I think, just for people to know, oh, so that's what my college mm-hmm. counselor has been talking about so much. Jump in there, have a look at your Naviance system mm-hmm. with the usual caveats about the usefulness of data in different contexts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mary Sue, maybe we'll have you back on again to, to extend this conversation even further. Thanks a lot for coming. Great. Thanks for having me, Ian. All right, folks, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the timeline for the fall. So don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We're going to shift gears now and talk a little bit about what to expect for seniors who are applying to college this fall. And joining me to open up that conversation and and tackle some of these mileposts that we'd like you to hit, we've got one of my newer colleagues, Ryan Kelly. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Now, Ryan worked in college admission for three different institutions from Fordham to the University of Colorado and Roger Williams University. And we're really happy to have you here just to talk about some of the key ideas that students and families should be paying attention to as they work their way through the fall. And I suppose let's start because Labor Day is right around the corner. um, What are some of the key things that you hope seniors will have achieved by the time that Labor Day rolls around? Sure. There's a, there's several things that I would like to have uh, incoming seniors either totally done with or have a large portion of the part of that part of the application done. I would like to have them um, have a, a narrowed down college list. It may not be totally finalized at this point, but they're getting much closer to figuring out 
what those eight to 10 ish schools that they're going to be applying to. It might not be at that number yet, but they're getting closer to it. They're starting to think a bit more strategically as to what, where they're going to be applying. Um, I would also like them to be, if not totally done with the personal statement for the common application, pretty well into that process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a, a draft or two under their belt and now working more towards polishing it. Um, some students are just starting it, but having it done at this point or close to being done may take a big stressor off their plate as they advance into their first couple weeks of, of senior year. And in another way, another part of the application that I'd like to have them done is possibly having requested letters of recommendation at this point from teachers. Um, it's not essential, but it does provide the teachers more opportunity to ask questions of the student for like a brag sheet, um, provide more time to write a, a meaningful and thoughtful uh, recommendation on the student's behalf. And if they haven't gotten to that point yet of requesting it, I'd recommend sooner rather than later, just so those teachers have ample opportunity to create a recommendation that's going to really help admissions officer officers better understand that student in the application process. Yeah, understood. And on those letters of recommendation, I think sometimes we'll say, hey, best practice, if you can, is, you know, ask teachers in the spring of your junior year before you adjourn for the summer. That's not always possible. Um, and of course, if you're a rising senior and you haven't already done that, you're not going to be able to go back in time and make that request. So asking earlier in the academic year, I think like you're saying, Ryan, it gives them an opportunity to, of course, ask for additional supporting materials that might help them in writing those letters. But it also reflects really well on you as the person who's making that ask. If I needed to write a letter of recommendation from a student who came to me a week before it was due, I would write that letter in frustration if I said yes, right? But if a student asks me many months ahead of time and is really proactive about asking what I need, then I am super pleased to be able to support them. And that communication, I think, reflects really well on them as well. Absolutely. Um, with respect to um, the essay, one other caveat that I would like to add, just I work you know, so, so much with students on the West Coast, is I'll see those four personal insight questions for the UC as being somewhat interchangeable with the personal essay. So if students don't have the personal essay quite finished, but they're making really good progress on those personal insight questions, that's as good for me as finishing that personal essay by, by the time uh, the, um, the Labor Day rolls around. Um, why is it so important, Ryan, for students to have a clear sense of which colleges they're going to apply for so early in the process? I think, you know, some parents are like, great, we'd love to have this closed and figured out by, by September. And I think some families will say, well, why can't we keep the research process going all the way through the fall? What is it about this process where students need to decide on this a little bit earlier? Yeah, because at this point, it's more of getting all of your ducks in a row for the schools that you're going to be applying to. Um, mm -hmm. You want, although the process is relatively similar at many institutions, every school is going to have their nuances, whether that's specific numbers of recommendations from specific schools or specific deadlines that need to be met mm -hmm. or, you know, supplemental essays that you need to be working on that are going to be different for every school. So at this point, I like the students to have a good idea as to where they're going to be applying so that over the next coming weeks and months, they can really work on crafting those applications and making the strongest applications possible for each one of those schools, making sure there's no you know, specific information to your point that needs to be addressed and all of a sudden they realize it you know, a day before it's due. You don't wanna apply on the actual deadline. If you can avoid it, you wanna make sure you're wrapped up a couple of days or so before that, uh, you know, even earlier. But at this point it's now, okay, I know where I want to apply. I now need to actually work on the application for that institution or those institutions. There are some surprising deadlines out there too that sometimes will catch students by surprise. Um, one example is the University of Washington. Their regular decision deadline is November 15th. And so if you delay in terms of identifying University of Washington as a priority school for you until November, you might say, oh my gosh, if I don't apply in the next 10 days, I can't apply to this school for this year. Um, I think about Georgia Tech and UNC Chapel Hill with their um, October 15th early action deadlines, which are great to take advantage of, but you can't do that if you don't know about them because you've decided to apply to those schools earlier. So October 15th is, you know, six weeks away. It's not too long from now. So that's something I think for students to keep an eye on. And again, 
knowing where you're going to apply allows you to set the stage uh, for what needs to be done. Um, we talked a little bit about letters of rec and communicating with teachers, which I think is a great reminder for students. What are some other aspects of communication that students need to have with their high schools in order to support the process of applying? You can't apply on your own, right? You need people to support you. How do you make sure that you keep them in the loop and manage that process as a student? Absolutely. Um, and a lot of high schools are really good about working with uh, rising seniors or start of senior year with seniors in regards to what their process is going to look like specifically through the guidance department or college counseling department and how they handle the situation specifically for things like uh transcript requests you know i'm i can't send my transcript because it has to be officially sent from the high school so the high school is going to need to know what schools you're applying to they're going to need to know when those deadlines are october 15th november 1st whatever it happens to be and then they're usually going to kind of reverse engineer that okay you know if it's a november 1st deadline you need to have that process in paperwork for the college counseling department or guidance department sent to them by october 1st or whatever it is but working with your guidance department to ensure that you're doing everything that they expect of you so that they can do what they need to to support your application by submitting supporting documents in a timely fashion the sooner you can get that organized the to your point, the, the happier that the teacher or guidance counselor will be and a little less frustrated they'll be with you. Um, and it just makes the process a bit smoother for everybody involved. I think this is a, especially an important reminder for students who live in places where there is, um, where you have a lot of college bound students who are applying, especially to ambitious lists of schools. Um, one of the things when I was based out of Palo Alto, um, as educators, we would share the Palo Alto deadline for when you had to have requests in for the counselor, because these deadlines were much, much earlier than what those school deadlines were going to be because that counseling office knew they were going to have to be on top of a lot of stuff. So as a student, if you have a high school that has those deadlines, you have to be careful in, in making sure that you're honoring those deadlines and respecting them. You do not want to go to your counselor and ask for an exception <laughs> in November. It's really not, not great. They're not going to be pleased to be doing that, right? Not at all. Yeah. There are also, Ryan, so we're talking about, you know, essays, I think, which are pretty common uh, for students, uh, you know, figuring out what their college list is going to look like, um, requesting letters of recommendation. These are fairly universal for students that are applying for four-year colleges. There are also some unusual circumstances for students who might be applying for special programs. What should they be keeping an eye out for? And, and what are the, some of those circumstances that, that students might, might feel apply to them? Sure. So oftentimes, but not always, those apply to things like performing arts or fine arts where a portfolio may be required or an audition or an interview. And sometimes, um, so I worked at a particular school where dance and theater students were not permitted to apply early action simply because mm. they may apply in November and have an audition or an interview not scheduled until January. Mm. So it was just the individual process for the institution. They obviously couldn't make an earlier review slash decision if parts of the application weren't completed yet, like an audition or an interview. So the sooner you can figure out what those unique um, nuances are for a particular school for whatever it is for that particular program, even architecture, sometimes they have a portfolio requirement. Yeah. going to be different or scholarship considerations you're thinking about applying for regular decision to a school on january 15th but you also want to be considered for scholarships which that deadline happens to be who knows december 15th so you want to make sure that you're submitting all of that information in a timely fashion and yes there are you know even at an individual institution individual programs may have a different application process and different time frame and expectations so getting that in order and organized sooner rather than later sets you up more likely for success in the future. I'm, I'm always struck, Ryan, when I'm working with a student who's applying for some sort of a portfolio or an audition-based process, and we start digging into the website for those programs, mm -hmm. there are a lot of rules. There are like the amount of stuff you have to go, like what the, um, you know, you might have a portfolio, you might have a separate essay you have to write, you have to, you know, schedule an audition, you have uh, to send in a tape or a film of your, it's like, there's a lot that is connected to that. 
And I think you just assume, well, I'm applying to the school and the deadline's January 1st. And so I'm just going to take it easy until a couple of weeks before then you, you will not be able to get your materials together. So if you are looking at portfolios, um, if you are looking at auditions, that's something you want to really be proactive about so that you can put your best foot forward in that context. And I think if you are looking at portfolios, especially for visual arts programs, Keep an eye out for those portfolio days that are being hosted by um, the uh, independent colleges of art and design. They have portfolio days all over the country. They can give you feedback on your portfolios, but you can't use that feedback to improve your portfolio unless you give yourself plenty of lead time in order to be able to do that. Absolutely. Ryan, one other thing I wanted to come back to, you know, just for the more traditional programs is thinking about supplemental essay writing over the course of the fall. And just, I wanted to get your sense for how students should think about spreading that work over the course of the fall. Is there a particular time by which they should try and be done with everything? How much time might they think about allocating to each school's essay requirements? What's some good practice in general there for families to think about? Yeah, so time frame, you know, I've heard varying opinions on that and, you know, in the amount of time, minutes and hours and weeks and months, it really is you want to put a lot of thought and um, insight into those responses and tailoring them as much as possible to those individual institutions especially for, you know, why this school, you want to really show those institutions why that school of all the hundreds or thousands of them that are out there really sticks out for you. So you want to make sure that you're making it unique and specific to that institution. And that can take some time. A lot of the supplemental essays, the harder part is more of the revision than the writing. It's revised, revised, revised. And that can take a long time for, for many, or for many students. Um, So getting those questions in front of you and seeing how much, how many do I have to write? Am I just writing one? Okay. Or am I writing multiple supplemental essays for multiple schools? That can help you kind of reverse engineer how much time you're going to devote to each one and to each school. Um, And then as a general rule, I mentioned this earlier, I never want a student to apply on the deadline for a whole host of reasons. Computers crash, things break, what have you. I always like to have a student done a, a week or so beforehand so that the, they can add any final layers of, of polish, um, making yeah. sure they've got everything organized and, and in line so that they can leisurely apply and not be stressed out that they're applying at the deadline and forgetting something. So a week to 10 days beforehand should be your, your done date. I always tell kids the deadline is a deadline. It's, it's not a goal. So, um, you know, working back from there, is and then looking to see how many you have to do and knowing that the revision process can be fairly substantial for a lot of these schools, especially the ones that are going to be reaches or challenges for you where you have to make yourself even stronger. Yeah, I, that's a, a great perspective, I think, to offer. And, and I love that idea of getting all of the prompts out in front of you. I think you can do a little bit of working smart in this context if you say, well, you know what? These two questions are essentially identical for these two different schools, and they're not school specific. So I could use the same essay to respond to these two separate questions. And I think that that's perfectly fine. But I also find, Ryan, that when students have too many schools on their list, sometimes they will overuse copying and pasting. They'll have their YNYU essay, and they'll copy and paste that for their Y Purdue essay. And those two essays should be very, very different from each other, even if the student is the same author. So put yourself in a position where you can manage your workload such that you're not trying to take shortcuts. You can always work smarter rather than working harder, but you don't want to take these shortcuts that are going to affect the connection you have with a particular school. Um, Are there any other, just in the last few seconds that we have, any other key deadlines or moments that we want students to keep an eye out for over the next few months um, that that we haven't covered already? Um, I don't know if it's so much of a deadline as it is. I strongly encourage students visiting campuses in Mm, person whenever possible, ideally before applying to the school. Um, I understand in the best of times that can be hard to accomplish and then we're not in the best of times. So when possible, getting on campus to confirm that this is a school that you not only want to apply to, but want to enroll in, um, can actually manage your 
application load. You know, you can go visit a campus and say, not what I thought it was. And that's one less school you have to worry about. And but I definitely I, getting, go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember reading why read essays that drew on experiences from the visit and they were so much more deep and detailed and, um, understood the nuances of the campus because of that perspective, rather than someone who had never been to campus. Um, you can of course virtually visit now and you can do research online to help support your understanding of a school, but that visit can often be a really great way of personalizing your understanding of the institution. Um, what were you, what else were you going to add? I was just going to say, um, I've worked in a couple places where students fell in love with my institution's location or, and they just assumed that that location was all that mattered, but so they never visited the campus. Um, they just made their decision off of the location or, or brochures or, or what have you. And then they realized it was too big or too small or not the right fit for them, what have you. But it was a little late. You know, they made that decision in September of their freshman year. And that's, I don't encourage that. So getting on campus, ideally before applying and definitely before enrolling is uh, going to be advantageous to you in the short term and long term. Great. I love it, Ryan. This is uh, a lot of good, helpful stuff. And I think, uh, you know, on the show, we will keep revisiting this content in greater detail. We'll talk about supplemental essays. We will talk about how to meet early action deadlines. So keep an eye out for all of those topics. Ryan, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Uh, that's that's twice now you've been on the on the show yes. and many more to come, I'm sure. I hope so. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about the timeline for the financial aid process. So stick around. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. We've got our final segment here, and we hope you've enjoyed the first two that we've had. And of course, if you're watching this uh, by video through our social media channels, it's not just Michelle and me today. There are also some great segments that we hosted on, on the timeline for admissions for the fall. And we talked about Naviance in the first segment. So go ahead and look those up uh, on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever you get your college coach content. Uh, all right. I've sort of buried the lead here. Uh, Michelle Richardson is here joining me for our final segment. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to have you. As I said off the air, you are a pro at this. I imagine <laughs> that most of our listeners will recognize your voice and your expertise. So we are going to jump right in to a general sense of what some families should be doing this fall to think about the process of paying for college. And so one of the first things that I think comes up is the cost of attendance. And this is a conversation I'm having with a lot of families right now. How do we think about what these colleges are actually going to cost and how does that influence our decision about where we're going to send applications? What does that, what does that question kind of look like right now? Right. And, and those of us on, on the finance side are having this conversation daily, multiple times a day right Good. now. Good. I'm going to send my families over to you to keep having them with you. <laughs> yeah. So I think as 
students start to look at schools and, and parents start to look at schools and they start digging into the true cost. Typically, the first go-to is looking at the cost of attendance, which is basically the all-in price for one year. And I encourage families to go through each line item. Um, there are direct costs like tuition and fees, obviously, room and board, but then there are indirect costs that schools estimate, which may or may not be applicable to families. And so oftentimes families might get that sticker shock price, especially if they're looking at maybe a, a private school or maybe an out-of-state public. Um, but look at those line items with that, that cost of attendance as you start to compare apples to apples from a, a paying for college perspective. And I know that you all on the finance side are big fans of spreadsheets. Is this something where you would encourage families to start laying these numbers out side by side so they can compare schools? Absolutely. Um, you know, one great, I think, item to kind of think about is, let's say the student is looking at schools where there could be no transportation cost in that line item. Or maybe they're looking at a school across the country, and if they're going to be flying back and forth three times, four times a year, that obviously is going to increase that transportation cost. So it really depends on the family and how they're looking at the overall cost of attendance. But as a finance person, we're, we love spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. We love to use them too, and, and would totally encourage families to use that stuff. In terms of flying across the country, my dad would have just said, why don't you stay at college for Christmas? Okay. Yes. Uh, what about, speaking of conversations, tough conversations with your parents, mm -hmm. uh, you talked about, and we've had this conversation before, the talk yes. um, and, and just establishing what a family can afford and, and how that fits the student's goals. Any recommendations for when that should happen, um, whether it's uh, just a final putting your foot down or if it's an ongoing conversation over the course of the fall? Right. I think having that talk, as we like to call it, um, should be ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if families have not discussed finances and, and perhaps the resources that the family has available to pay for college and what those expectations are from both the student perspective and the parent perspective. So a lot of times um, we will talk with parents and, and have them say, you know, does your student know how much resources, whether that's savings or cash flow, or are you willing to finance? Do you want the student to take out a student loan? Um, setting those expectations so and having that conversation sooner and, and ongoing as they look at the cost of attendance and look at what schools have the, you know, whole package and, and are the right fit um, with other aspects of, of the student, um, it should be an ongoing conversation. So there aren't any shocks or, you know, having that conversation next spring when they get into their maybe dream school and, and then no that good. can be a challenge. That can be a challenge. Yeah. And yes. if you're interested in exploring this a little bit more fully, I know that I had this conversation with Tara about a month, month and a half ago where we sure. really got into the talk. So go on back into the archives and have a look at that. Um, one of the other big questions, Michelle, that I've run into just with families in the last couple of weeks is, all right, well, we can see what the cost is, the sticker price, and we can do uh, an EFC calculator and figure out what kind of need we're going to qualify for. But what about scholarships? How do we know how much scholarships are going to factor into the process? Can you talk a little bit about whether scholarships are included as a part of that net price calculator that colleges have? And if they're not, then how do students and families, you know, think about the role of these merit scholarships in their process? Sure, sure. This is a big question. So um, merit scholarships are Dollars and oftentimes they're they're a tuition discount and they're awarded by admissions during the admission process um, in order to recruit students. And sometimes I think that kind of get that message gets lost. Right. Um, with that, there are schools that have not and, and don't offer merit. So obviously that is a component, especially if a family may not qualify for need-based financial aid. Um, to know that there are schools that don't offer merit. 
Um, but there are a significant number of schools that do. Um, a challenge with the net price calculators is, generally speaking, most of them only look at the need-based need -based component, like you said. So um, uh, there is a, a, a resource uh, like the average merit scholarship is available on College Navigator or the College Board's website, um, Big Future. So sometimes families can dig into that data there. Um, what is a challenge for families is many schools are not transparent on their website when it comes to merit scholarships. We have a few that have a wonderful calculator that says if you have this GPA and if you have this test score um, and if you're a resident in state or out of state, you know, this is your estimated scholarship, which makes that uh, process a little bit easier. Um, most uh, schools are, are not that transparent. So um, a couple of things that families should know and, and they should be doing this as they're looking at schools Students need to be looking at each individual school's website for the merit scholarship information for incoming students. Some schools will have a supplemental scholarship application above and beyond the admission application. Right. Um, we, we even have some schools, um, even like the UC system this last year implemented where you have to complete the financial aid applications in order to be considered for mm. merit. Okay. And we're starting to see a few more schools do that kind of as a double check to make sure that they do file for need-based financial aid. And if they're eligible, they receive that aid, whether it's from the federal or, or state government. Um, another component that students need to look for regarding merit are deadlines, priority yeah. deadlines. Yeah. And USC comes to mind with that one where they've got a December 1st deadline for consideration for scholarships and the regular deadlines out in January. If you don't apply by December 1st, you can't get a scholarship. And so apply by December 1st, like that's, you know, right. you have and to do that. And it does vary by schools. I've seen schools that have no November deadlines. We have schools, you know, December into January. We have some that don't, but we also have some schools that will award their merit first come first serve. So obviously you don't want to miss those opportunities. And so just linking, I think what Ryan was saying in the last segment, along with what you're saying in this segment, there's a lot of, you know, we talked about getting supplemental essay topics right out in front of you, making sure you can see everything you need to do in order to write those essays. And this is the same kind of thing on the finance side, get all of the pieces out in front of you, put it into a spreadsheet, get a notebook, figure everything out so that you are clear on what to expect. Um, Michelle, my understanding is that with Recruitment aid with merit scholarships, you're never going to know exactly how much you get until you actually get into that school. So you can have a, even sometimes a rough idea, but the actual offer doesn't come until the offer comes. Absolutely. Uh, but it can, it can help guide you a little bit. Right, right. Now, what about the deadline for applying for need-based financial aid? So many families are going to go ahead and do this. They're going to have to complete the FAFSA uh, you know, coming up this fall. What are some key dates for them to keep an eye out for as they're working through that process? Sure. So one thing, you the FAFSA, the Federal Financial Aid Application, as well as the CSS Profile, which is another financial aid application that about a little over 200 schools utilize, those will not be available until October 1st. Okay. I've already talked to some families who have like, I tried to go out and fill out the FAFSA and I'm like, Time out. You can't. It's not ready yet. Um, so obviously, knowing that they become available on October 1st, knowing that you don't have to stay up until midnight on September 30th to complete it, but try to get it done. Uh, we like to say early to mid-October, if at all possible, with the financial aid application. So that's a, a big date. Now, there is uh, something that families can do now to prepare for that. So um, with the FAFSA, both the student and one of the parents has to create what we call a FSA, 
ID, username, and password. And it's basically their electronic signature. And that is something families can do now. And it really kind of helps streamline that FAFSA completion process in October. So that is something that families can do now. Kind of going back to what we talked about with merit and, and your comment regarding spreadsheets. Schools have financial aid application deadlines. We have states that have FAFSA deadlines. So do be aware, again, check each school, uh, their financial aid application information on their, their website to make sure that, again, there's not any deadlines you are, are missing. And um, the other final thing that I think families can do right now is kind of start to gather the information. So you can go out and look at the FAFSA that's currently available and, and kind of see what you're going to need to complete it so that process is very smooth, like bank statements, um, financial documents for untaxed income, like maybe child support, um, driver's license, uh, all of those kind of um, investment retirement fund statements, uh, real estate valuations, um, and your 2020 federal tax information, including your W-2s. All kinds of fun stuff to gather and put together. And I would imagine, am I right that my college finance colleagues, they do all their taxes in February as soon as they get their W-2s? You guys are just like right on top of the deadlines. Right on top. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Michelle, thanks for coming and talking us through some of this stuff. I think it's going to be really helpful for families to have these reminders. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ian. Happy to have you. All right, folks, that does it for our show this week. We're going to be back again next week, as we always are. We'll have Sally in the hosting chair. We'll be continuing the conversation of stories from our team and what their college experiences were like with Lisa Albro. So you'll want to join us for that. We'll also talk through some of the UC personal insight questions, and we'll get an update from our finance experts on the mandatory administrative forbearance, right? So important topics, if not super exciting, but they are exciting, right? Yes. Uh, we, we look forward to having you back here as listeners next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.